Um, so if you guys want to, you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. As every person that you come across in your life, in your family, at work, your friends, every single person is going to spend eternity with God in heaven or apart from God in hell. Every single person. When Jesus asked, was asked uh, by one man, what is the greatest commandment? He answered in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The mission of Faith Church um, is to, to build the, the church that our friends and neighbors will join and our children will one day lead. What I want you to notice about that, that mission is that it's, it kind of follows the same trajectory. There's a building of the church. The church is God's people, God's very bride. Um, there's a focus on God and that the church exists for relationship with God. It's the place where heaven meets earth, where God has a relationship with man in the church. But then there's an outward focus, that it's going to be the place where our friends and neighbors will join and our children will one day lead. So as, as we think about our mission here at Faith Church, our mission is oriented towards God and towards others. And for Jesus, this is a single focus. And for us, church, this should be a single focus. Um, without evangelism, our church can go nowhere. Today we're going to be talking about evangelism, um, and we'll talk about what that is, but I want you to know that uh, our, the mission of Faith Church moving forward is like a boat, like a rowboat with two oars. So if you guys have ever done that, um, you've got the two oars in the water, that's how you're going to be propelled to go forward. If you only have one of those oars in the water, and you're you're going with all your might on that one oar, you're just going to spin in circles. You're not going to make it anywhere. And here at Faith Church, we, we believe that we have one oar, which is discipleship, one oar, which is evangelism. And in order for our church to move forward, we cannot only have discipleship or this focus on loving God more and growing in our faith, but it has to be propelled forward by evangelism as well. Those two things work together to propel us forward in the mission of the church. When Jesus left, or, uh, um, arose, or, um, he spoke to his disciples, and before he left, he gave one final command. He said, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He made discipleship a very big issue. It is imperative that the church would make disciples, but it does say, while you're going to make disciples, we're supposed to be going out of all nations, wherever you go, you are making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
This mission that we have been called to, that Jesus has called us to, is evangelism. Evangelism, just to give you a, a definition, this is our working definition for evangelism, comes from a book called Evangelism from uh, J. Max Stiles. It says, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. It's teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. The central focus of evangelism is the gospel, which is super appropriate because here at church, we celebrate the gospel every single Sunday. We gather because of the gospel. Whenever we gather at church, we pray the gospel. We sing the gospel. We hear the gospel preached and we partake in the gospel through communion. This is a gospel-centered church. And we are called to carry that gospel with us as we leave. From this healthy center of being gospel-centered flows desire for others to taste and see that the Lord is good. So what does it mean for us to be evangelists? Um, art, we have some people here who are artists. Art is this expression of beauty and of creativity um, in some kind of physical piece, right? That's art in and of itself. An artist, which I am not, is someone who can create art, all right? So we, we're familiar with those two, two terms there. Uh, someone, or if, if someone is nude, that means that they are not wearing clothes, they are naked. A nudist is someone who likes to be nude and they do that in public. So that, all right, so that, the way that those words work is we just have the, this is the term, and then we turn that into a person who does the thing, all right? You are called to be evangelists. We are called to be evangelistic. So what does it mean for us to be, what is the core of that word? The core of that word is evangelion. It's the Greek word evangelion, which we would, we put into all of our words. Evangel is the core of evangelistic. And what is that? That's simply good news. This was the proclamation of uh, good news to the world. Um, and specifically, this was a term not just used like in Christian-y circles, but whenever a king would win a battle, there would be someone who would go out and who would proclaim the good news that, this the, that Rome has conquered or that Greece has conquered or whatever it was, that, like whatever the conquering army, army was, the proclamation that their side had won was the good news. It was the gospel. And whenever we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim the good news that Christ as our king has conquered. All right? So the core of evangelism, as we're called to be evangelists, we are people who declare the good news. If we wanted to say it in very simple for form, right, we'd be like good newsists or something like that. That's just putting it into our language. Good newsist. Every single person here is called to the good news, to share it. So how can we do that today? I, I want us to understand how we can be evangelists. Um, look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 13. Here, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, which has erred 
Um, and there are people who have doubled down on their sin, and they are now actually accusing Paul of not of being like a false preacher. Um, they've they've totally separated. They're like, we can't trust you anymore, even though he's the one who started the church. And so here's what Paul says as he's proclaiming the gospel, trying to reconcile them or bring them back to God. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are, we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should, no longer, should live no longer for themselves. But for him who died uh, for them, and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them as committed and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, and this morning, as we study your word um, and we try to understand what, what it means uh, to be called to be your representatives and to aim to persuade as we share the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would burden us with this calling to be evangelistic. But not only in a negative sense, but in a, a sense that we would understand how the gospel has impacted us and how we want to go out and just share this good news. Lord, I pray that you would lead us by your spirit to understand how we can work this out in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been shamed into doing a good thing? Um, Cherish is pregnant. She's very pregnant. We, we actually, we scheduled this sermon and whenever Pastor Daniel was like, when can you preach next? And I was like, you know, well, whenever. And we scheduled it for this day. And he was like, but what do we do? What if Cherish were to go to the hospital? And I was like, well, I guess you'd be preaching just like you would if we didn't schedule it. So <laughs> um, we might as well schedule it and we'll see what happens. And so here we are. So Cherish being pregnant um, more frequently than normally, she, she wants a shoulder rub or a foot rub. Um, that might not be true, but maybe she's more assertive and wanting those things. <laughs> um, but there, there are a few ways that that foot rub or shoulder rub could happen, right? Um, the most normal way is that Cherish is like, hey, Cher Eric, I really need you to give me a foot rub tonight or a shoulder rub. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it, yep. I'm tired and stuff, but I will joyfully do this, this good work. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's one way that you could do it. That's one way that you could do it. Um, another way, which she does not do this, but a way that she could get what she wants, right, would be to say, like, you know, I'm not going to buy you pretzels and peanut butter 
if you don't do this thing. And she holds something over on me. Like, yep, I know I cooked this entire pot of soup, but until you give me a shoulder rub, you're not going to get any soup. She could do that. She doesn't do that, luckily. Um, the last way is the best way, and this is what should happen more frequently than it does, and that is that I come home, and I'm tired, and I'm ready to just go to sleep or whatever after I've had my shower in the evening, and then I think, you know what? I love Cherish, and she loves me, and I just want to offer to give her a foot rub or a shoulder rub. You know, that's what should happen most frequently. Uh, having written this sermon um, yesterday, I was like, Cherish, do you want to for rub? But it doesn't happen as frequently as, as it should. But if you, if you are married, you know that it's much more meaningful for you to offer that thing out of a, like feeling the love that you have in your marriage to offer that than for you to just wait and be like, yeah, Okay, she asked for it, because then it just feels meaningless. Like, now I just have to fulfill, fulfill a task. We can view evangelism in much the same way. It can be something where you feel guilted into it. It can feel like something that you just have to do. It can feel even sometimes like, if I don't do this, God's going to be angry at me. He's going to withhold his blessings from me. But I want you to know that the, the better way that God has created and that he means for us to live in is to not act out of compulsion or like you have to do this. This is a thing you've got to check off the list. Or to act out of fear and guilt because God's going to hold this over your head. Like, hey, thanks for being a Christian, but you really failed at the Christian life. Like God's not going to, that's not the reason why we evangelize but rather because of the great love that he has shown us, we are compelled to move outward towards unbelievers. So our motivation is God's love. Um, I think this is the second law, Newton's second law of thermodynamics. It's every action has an equal opposite reaction, right? Um, and for some of you, you're thinking of Hamilton's song, but Whenever I dribble this basketball, I can get it to come back to this exact spot, right? Well, not really. The stage kind of gave there. But based on the amount of force that I give, it's actually going to be a little bit less. But there's, there's going to be a bouncing back up. Our evangelism is much like this. That as we recognize the love of God that is the energy and the pushing of us, that we feel that day by day, we are motivated to, to do something else. Like you can't experience God's love and grace and relationship with him without that affecting you. And if you're like, yeah, it's telling people about Jesus. I do not want to do that. Like no desire whatsoever. Then it may be that you, you haven't experienced that initial act. You have not experienced his grace at work in your heart. Maybe you know about him, but you have not experienced him. You, have, you do not have relationship with God through Jesus. Knowing God is compelling. Knowing about God is not. Growing and knowing who he is through scripture is exciting. 
Stagnancy in life produces boredom. Knowing the depths of your sinfulness and God's grace is awesome. It's awe-inspiring. Self-delusion says, I'm okay. Or that God has brought me out of sin and now I don't sin and it produces condescension and pride. Some of you have been in the boat where you've been at that Thanksgiving testimony time or you've heard testimonies told and that person, that dear saint who's 93 years old gets up and says, I'm just thankful that Jesus died for me. And you're like, okay, man, we, we know that happened, move on. But a mature believer doesn't ever move on from that point. You continue to stand in awe of the cross and it affects you powerfully, right? Whenever we recognize the work of God in our lives, it is compelling. So there are three things that we can learn from this passage. First of all, we need to learn that the gospel is what compels us. We are compelled by the gospel is the way that this is put, that we are controlled by the gospel. Whenever we look at verse, um, we're in chapter five, we look at verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Do you know the love of Christ? For Paul, as he understood the work of Christ, he could not sit back and say, all right, I, I hate that you feel that way, Corinth, but I guess you've chosen your own thing. Sorry, like I, I hate that for you, but I'm gonna abandon you at this point because you've chosen your own way. For Paul, as he recognized the work of Christ in his own life, he said, I can't help but address this issue. I cannot help but ask you, try to compel you, or try to convince you to accept the reconciliation that Jesus offers. Do you know what Christ has done? Is that affecting you? If not, then you probably need to be clear on the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you understand what Christ has done? Church and I went to Cumberland Camp. Um, it's been almost two years ago. And there's something really cool there, which is not just at Cumberland Camp, but in a lot of places, but I just find it fascinating. There's a spring um, of water that comes out, right? So if you've been to the mountains, then you've seen like there are, there are mountain springs that turn into creeks and all this. And it's just amazing. Like there's no pump there. Like there's not some man who's constantly like making pressure, make that water come out. It just happens. The water comes out as pressure builds up and it's just this system that God created. And you can, you can go to that spring and you can use that water and it's just really good water. It's pure water. It's not the calcium, calcified water here in Chandler that leaves like a layer of calcium on my water kettle. You don't have to pay an arm and a leg for this water if you're at a spring. It's just free. It just keeps flowing out. Free water. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Whenever we think about the work of God, 
in our lives, we, I, I think about this spring. As, this, as the water comes out of the spring, it creates channels or creeks or tributaries that run from those creeks. But it's, it's all like the, the ground is dug out to be able to carry the water to a particular place where maybe it pools up or it turns into a river or whatever it is, it feeds into something else. But the, the things that exist are the result of that spring, the way that the water is carried. Um, men will perhaps even manipulate where the water goes by digging a trench or a ditch that, that becomes the creek and will make it flow to where someone lives. Um, evangelism flows naturally from the springs of God's grace. If you are the ground that receives this spring day by day, you will soon have a path cut in your heart to where as his grace flows into you, it flows outward to others. As Robbie Gallaty said, I think in a very helpful way, the gospel came to you so it could go to someone else. The first question of evangelism is, church member, are you connected to that spring? Or a tender, someone who, if you come here every week, are you connected to that spring? Or do you just know of it? You cannot be changed. Um, you, you cannot be changed and without letting this affect you and run elsewhere, just like a spring that continues to flow water. The gospel is what we have to be clear on. And in this passage, Paul lays it out very clearly. It's summed up here in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is like a one-sentence statement that kind of sums up the gospel really well. He says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a great verse to memorize. In this verse, we have sin, which is the issue. God created us for relationship with him. And in the garden... Man chose, instead of having continuous relationship with God forever as we were created for, they chose their own way. And God, in order to take that sin away and to work about our plan of redemption so that they could be reconciled because you can't be with God and in sin, choosing your own way, he banished them from the garden. And God worked about a plan of redemption uh, through his people. The plan was through Israel. And they, they utterly failed time and time again to be able to fulfill uh, their side of the bargain, to be able to be righteous, to, to do what God had asked. And so God sent his righteous servant, his, his only son, who could be righteous for us, for his people. So Jesus came and he took on the sin that we brought into being and that we harbor and that we enjoy while we were still enjoying it, still saying, God, I don't need you. God, God sends his son. He takes that sin upon himself and he dies in our place. And as a result, the righteousness that he accomplished, his own righteousness is given to each person who believes. The gospel is not just the starting point, but the motivation for our entire lives. God saw us dead, and he made us alive in him. We never move on from this. 
And when we realize this gospel and its power for salvation and life, we then become his ambassadors. So look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. He's just explained the gospel, and then he uses this transition word, now, then. Now, then. So because of these things, now this. Okay? So he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. After that, it explains the gospel, and there's that four. Why, why are we doing this? Because Jesus has done this for us. Why are you an ambassador? Why do you go out trying to present the gospel with the purpose of persuading? Because God has done this for us. Politicians are ambassadors for us. We just had an election in this past week. Um, don't know many local representatives, but uh, Cindy Ledbetter, right, is her name. She, she won the election. She goes to the state, and she represents Warwick County, kind of the, the desires of Warwick County and Pike, Pike County, this district. And so our concerns in, in a perfect world are represented by Cindy Ledbetter. And she will try to persuade other districts, like this is a good thing for all people, but she's really representing our interests. This is something that's very common in politics. At 23 years old, there was a guy named Alexander Hamilton, and motivated by his allegiance to Washington and in service of a newly formed country, or trying to become a newly formed country that had just declared independence, America, um, he was invested with great authority um, though he wasn't really a great, a great man. He came from the Virgin Islands, didn't have a big, like a well-known family, uh, didn't have even a degree, like the war had kind of interrupted his education. But because he's very charismatic and gregarious, like Washington puts him on his staff at 23. And so this 23-year-old man becomes Washington's ambassador, his representative. And as, he would, as Washington would carry out commands, Washington didn't have text messages. Um, so what he did is he'd send out his aides to head out to the other camps and to generals and to tell what Washington's orders were on his behalf. And Hamilton got into some pretty big feuds. And he was able, but because he was proclaiming something that the, the generals really didn't care to hear, they were like, yeah, we know what we're doing and they were questioning Washington's authority, but he was acting on the head general's behalf. And it didn't really matter what Hamilton said, you know, because Hamilton was nobody. But because he was Washington's aide, Washington had, had invested authority in Hamilton and other aides. And so whenever Hamilton spoke, he didn't speak as Alexander Hamilton. He spoke as George Washington. His word carried weight. The things that he said mattered. They weren't just requests or like suggestions. They were commands from the highest officer. He, this involved bold requests with obstinate people. But because he knew he was in service of Washington and the, he had the best of America, best for America in mind, he was bold and he was persuasive. He would put up a fight against a general three times his age with tons more experience because he knew why he was doing this. We are Christ's ambassadors. He invests us with the authority of a king 
we are called to be, as we are reconciled with him, we go out on his behalf with his approval, with the power that he invests in us to be able to go to other people and to represent the king of this whole universe. This is the task of evangelism. We aim to persuade on his behalf, not because we're mean or because we think we've got the best opinion out there or something like that, but because we truly believe we are acting on his behalf. We believe this is the truth of the universe that God reigns through Jesus. We have been reconciled. And so we go out with authority. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus said, has been invested in us. We have been given his authority to go out to proclaim the gospel. We've been commissioned by the king. And we know and believe what he's done and said. His authority is what we trust. So real quick, just to sum this up, three things we have to be, three things have to be true for us to be evangelistic. We have to be motivated, we have to be equipped, and we have to be available. And I want to hit those three things. This is our application. The love of Christ, first of all, must compel you. I don't want to say too much on this because this is where we've spent the bulk of our time. But are you excited about Christ's work in your life? Do you want others to know him? Or is your faith privatized? And it's similar to like your favorite restaurant where you're like, no, I really believe in this, but I'm not going to try to convince you because it's just a preference. That's not faith. We believe in the reality of Christ's reign, regardless of whether or not someone else recognizes it. But we believe that it is truly the best way. Like it leads to life. And we believe that choosing sin and living in sin leads to death. And this is a message that matters, that it affects our entire eternity. Are you motivated to be able to share that message? Like, do you want to? And then secondly, are you equipped to be able to share it? So first of all, do you want to? Second of all, could you? Could you actually do it? If you went out today um, and I said, I, I need you to share the gospel with one person, would you go up to that person and be like, yeah, Jesus died for you? And you're like, uh, that's not the full gospel. Could you explain the gospel? Could you explain even how the gospel has changed you? Are you equipped to be able to share? And I'm... If you're here today and you're like, no, I, don't, I really don't think I feel comfortable with that. I'm not saying, shame on you. What is wrong with you? I'm just saying, to be able to, equip, to be equipped to share the gospel, we have to think about it. We have to be prepared to be able to share it. Everybody at some point has to learn it. You're not born with the knowledge of the gospel. You have to learn how to best share it. Romans 10, 13 through 14 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved but how then shall they call on him who they haven't believed? And how shall they believe on him who they haven't heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Guys, there's a sense in which I'm, a, I'm called to be a preacher. And there's a sense in which Pastor Daniel is called to be a preacher. But there's also a sense in which every Christian is called to be a preacher. To proclaim the gospel. Because... There's like, a, you know, this quote that I grew up hearing in youth group. Uh, Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it's a, it's a neat thought. Um, it doesn't work. It's not the same. It's actually completely against what this passage says. 
you can live out the implications of the gospel and people might be able to recognize that there is something different. But ultimately, the gospel is tied to words. It is not tied to your actions. It doesn't matter how many cheeseburgers you hand out to someone in need or if you, you give to the poor or if you work at a soup kitchen. Those things are not the gospel. It's just nice. It's, it's good. It's, the, it's an act of love as a result of the gospel. It's the implications of the gospel. But to share the gospel, you have to say the gospel. Can you say it? Are you equipped to be able to speak it? Do you know how you would present it? So we have to be motivated. We have to be equipped. And lastly, we have to be available. Are you available for unbelievers? Do you rub shoulders with people outside the church? If not, I have news for you. You are not available to share the gospel with anyone. In order to share the gospel with unbelievers, to be evangelistic as we are called to, you have to rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. We need to be motivated, we need to be clear, and we need to be available. It doesn't matter if you're motivated and you know how to do it, you never put yourself around people who don't know Jesus. I recently talked to Zach Vickery at Dustin and Lacey's wedding, and Zach's awesome. I went to college with him. He's now a pastor there in Jolton, Tennessee, and he, he said, I moved to, to Jolton, and I just I didn't know any unbelievers, and I was running in crowds with basically like other pastors and other Christians, and it was a good time, but he wasn't able to be evangelistic in any way. They're like, there wasn't an opportunity because he did not know any unbelievers. And he said, you know, I, I like to work out and I need to put myself in a place where I can be around people who don't know Jesus. And he joined CrossFit. And he, that's a huge commitment that I could not make, but he did it. It's like five days a week, an hour a day, like big commitment. And he said, as a result of that, no one's come to, to know the gospel at this point, but there are people in CrossFit who have been like, well, we know one Christian. Would you come pray with my grandma who's in the hospital? And it's opened up the door for him to be able to have conversations with them and to be able to minister to them. And it's opening up a door for evangelism because he's made himself available just because he joined CrossFit. Doing, joining CrossFit is not a spiritual thing, right? But it is a step in evangelism. And if, if you walk away this morning and you're like, man, I'm a failure if I don't speak the gospel whenever I go to Elmogle today, you know, I, I should have said something or whatever. That's not the goal here. The goal is for you to think about what is the next step for you. If, if you're not around unbelievers, the, the next step is get yourself around some unbelievers. Find a way that you are able to befriend unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus. And people, uh, just a caveat here, people aren't projects, you don't do this with an end in mind where it's like, oh, you're not gonna accept Jesus and I told you about the gospel, well, who cares about you? That's, that's utterly wrong. But make friends with people who don't know Jesus because if you're not friends with people who don't know Jesus, you can't tell them about Jesus, right? So I want you to first think, have I put myself in that place? And then I want you to think about one person. I don't want this to be nebulous. I don't want it to be abstract and like, oh, evangelism, the big task, the great commission that's given to all people. 
Um, man, I just need to do it everywhere I go, at Walmart and at Aldi and every single place. It's, if you do that, that's it's good. I, I would say I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody to not share the gospel at every grocery store you go to. But the goal here is not that, but that you would think very concretely, who is one person that God has placed in your life that you can pray for intentionally and think about the steps that you can take to be able to share the gospel with that person. The, uh, the question that we ask in discipleship is have you shared the gospel, shared your story, or taken intentional steps towards that end? Um, the last part is often where we live. Have you taken any intentional steps towards being able to share the gospel or is it just like, one, I'm not around unbelievers or I'm around unbelievers but I don't wanna be weird. I don't wanna say something awkward about Jesus. I know that they're not Christians. If we are really compelled by the gospel, we recognize that it, it brings dead men to life. If we recognize that this is what we were created for, for relationship with Jesus, it's, it's something that we can't help but share because we want others to share in this great joy and the love of the Father. Who's your one? Who is one person that you can pray about? Pray for those opportunities, which is what Pastor Daniel is going to talk about next week. So as we close today, I want you to remember that you are not responsible for the results of evangelism. You have no power to save anyone. Not one of you does. If the goal today were for us to go out and get 20 salvations, that would be a terrible goal because you are not responsible for someone's salvation. You are responsible to share the gospel. Have you experienced the gospel? Do you know it? Could you actually share the gospel? And lastly, are you available to even be able to do that? Those three things have to be true for you to be able to be evangelistic as we have been called to do. Today, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want you to consider this calling that God's placed on your life. And I hope that this, this is something that you can recognize and enjoy, that you don't do because you have to do it or because you feel guilted into do it, or like God is going to be really upset with you if you don't start doing this thing, but because you recognize the great joy that God, uh, that God has placed in your heart by his love and by his grace. As you've experienced the gospel, that affects you. It, it wants to move outward. The gospel came to you so it could go to someone else. Guys, this morning, if there is somebody who God has placed on your heart, one person. I want you to come down to the front pew or to the altar. And what I want you to do is just pray for that person. I want you to pray that that person would come to know Jesus. But I also want you to pray that God would equip you to be able to be that person. Because it doesn't happen all the, like God, God's normal means of people coming to know Jesus is not by sending a dream or by some kind of miraculous event that makes them come to, him, to know him, but by you, by me, 
by our faithfulness to be able to share. So as the music begins to play, I want to encourage you to come down to the front and I want you to pray for that one person, that God would open up opportunities for you to be able to speak the gospel, to be able to build relationships and to be able to be clear on what it, what it is that God has done for you. And the last invitation I want to extend is if, if you today don't know the joy of the gospel, it hasn't affected you, you haven't been compelled by that message of reconciliation that one man's righteousness has been good for all of us, that we were dead in our sins, but he has he made us righteous as we turned from our sins and toward him in faith. And that's what you need to do this morning. I want, you, I want to encourage you to come down. At this time, I'm going to give you some time to pray.